Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is your host, Abby Martin. This is the audio of our show. You can watch the episodes on our YouTube channel or at theempirefiles.tv. Homelessness is a major issue in the United States, a widespread reality in almost all major cities, so much so that it's become accepted as just a normal state of affairs. But Americans might be surprised to learn that homelessness did not always exist as a major phenomenon in the U.S. In fact, the term homeless people didn't even appear in U.S. newspapers until the New York Times in 1983. Fast forward to today. It's a dominant and growing feature of our economic system. The reasons are no mystery. The top cause of becoming homeless is being laid off from your job. 50% of homeless people spent their childhood in the foster care system. And the fastest rising sector of the homeless population today are black women who served in the U.S. military, a large percentage of whom are sexual assault survivors. Having enough data is not the issue. Here in the richest country in human history, it is well understood. The problems are systemic, and the politicians from local to federal refuse to help. I talked to one city council candidate who wants to change that here in Los Angeles the epicenter of the crisis. Nithya Raman is running for LA City Council in District 4, which includes Hollywood, Koreatown, and beyond, on a platform of ending homelessness. As an urban planning expert, she has worked on the issue both as a city employee and as an activist. I joined her at her campaign office where she's planning to challenge the interests of big real estate developers to discuss the epidemic in LA and the broader United States. Let's look at the system right now, because we have a tragic irony with the way that the system's set up, um, how too many homes actually increase homelessness. You look at the Great Recession, the housing crisis in 2008, where real estate developers were selling homes at profit, and it's led to the situation where there are about eight vacant homes for every homeless person in the country. Talk about what homelessness currently looks like beyond people sleeping in the streets, uh, the impact on families, children, people sleeping in cars. Paint a picture outside of that kind of common conception of what homelessness is. Yeah, so one thing I often talk about when I'm talking to residents in this race is that what we see on the streets, the rise in visible tent encampments in Los Angeles, that's really just the tip of the iceberg. We're not seeing people who are doubled and tripled up in homes. We're not seeing people who are sleeping in their cars but tucked away in people's driveways using their bathrooms at night. We're not seeing all of the people who are actually leaving Los Angeles because it is way too expensive. And in fact, Los Angeles has had big demographic shifts in terms of who is able to live here and who's not able to live here. Homelessness is the most egregious symptom but it is only one symptom of a broader housing crisis that I think is absolutely transforming this city and making it a place which is increasingly hospitable only for the wealthiest residents. Homelessness is an incredibly complex issue. And I, when I have been out talking to people about the issue of homelessness, especially those who only drive and see people in tents or walk by people in tents, I think there's a real perception that the people who become homeless are homeless because they are mentally ill or because they're addicts, and that's it. But I think if you look across the spectrum of people who are 
experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity or who are severely rent burdened, which is a massive population across Los Angeles, you see that homelessness is, is, is affecting so many different kinds of people. And the people who you see who are on the streets, um, they are really just the tip of the iceberg. Homelessness and housing insecurity is playing out across a much broader swath of the population. And many of the people who are experiencing homelessness, we don't even see. They are absolutely invisible in our city. Uh, they are people who, if they are homeless, want to hide that they're homeless from people, especially if they have a job, if they have a family that they're trying to take care of, if they're moving from friend's home to friend's home. There is an incredible variety to the number of people who are experiencing homelessness that I think is simply not reflected in our visual perceptions of what's happening in the city. And I think that that's incredibly important to talk about. I think a lot of the um, resistance to providing more services or to um, providing more resources for either people who are about to lose their homes and fall into homelessness or to people who are already experiencing homelessness comes from this perception that everyone who's on the street you know, has mental illness or um, is an addict and that's just simply not true. And even if it were true, those are two populations that also require care. They're also incredibly vulnerable populations. But I think the truth is that the population is much, much bigger and much more um, varied than that. And there are a lot of factors that keep people in a state of homelessness and impede their ability to actually get out of the situation once they're in, right? Yes, absolutely. So I started a homeless coalition in my neighborhood with a group of my neighbors. And what we started to do in that coalition, we saw that there were more people experiencing homelessness in our neighborhoods than there ever were before. So what we did was that we walked around and started to get to know people. We got to know them by name. We learned about the factors that had led them to lose their homes and to live on the streets. And we also learned a lot about the factors that kept them on the streets once they were already homeless. And we served a region of this city in Los Angeles which was incredibly large. We served a region that stretched all the way from Los Feliz to Cypress Park. It's a huge area of the city. And what we learned about what faced those individuals when they were experiencing homelessness is actually true for most parts of the city. Once they were homeless, it was almost impossible for them to stop being homeless. In that whole area of the city, for example, there was not a single walk-in shelter bed. There was not a place where you could use the bathroom and you were welcome to use the bathroom. If you wanted to get a job or if you wanted to keep a job, because many people who are homeless also are working, there was not a shower that you were welcome to use. Um, there was not a place where you could go in and talk to a case manager about getting your paperwork and moving through the process of getting housing. If you wanted to seek help for mental illness or for addiction, there was not a place that you could walk to and seek that help. So we have actually designed a system in Los Angeles where homelessness is one of the most prominent issues that every Angelino thinks is a, facing the city. And it's very clear from looking at it. And yet what we've done is to set up a system that is not at all designed to help people, that is designed to make it as hard for people to seek help as possible if they're trying to seek that help. Um, and I think we could do so much better in transforming the system that faces people who are living on the streets right now, so much better. That's a really good point that in order to get a job, you need a home to, have, you know, to shower and to clean yourself. In order to get a home, you need a job. And yeah. it's just this vicious cycle that yeah. is impossible to get out of. 
I think when a lot of people think of homelessness in the country, Los Angeles, of course, comes to mind. You know, first and foremost, Los Angeles is a huge, important case study for the rest of the country as one of the richest cities in the world. What happens here has tremendous impact nationwide. Can you give an assessment of the crisis here in Los Angeles and how it's exacerbated so rapidly? Mm -hmm. So for many years, homelessness was not a politically salient issue in Los Angeles. It was not top of mind. In fact, in this seat where I'm running, the pre in the previous election, homelessness barely came up during the campaign. And that was because it was already an issue in Los Angeles. So five years ago, uh, when the last race happened, there were already about 23,000 or 25,000 people living on the streets, which is a huge number. But for many years in Los Angeles, the population was concentrated in a few neighborhoods, and that was an explicit policy of containment that the city operated under. Most people who were homeless lived in two or three neighborhoods in LA. There was a huge population in Skid Row, there were some people who lived in Hollywood, and there were some people who lived at the beaches, and that was it. But because politicians over and over again were able to avoid addressing the root causes of that homelessness, because it was contained in these neighborhoods, because it didn't become a politically salient issue in races across the city, which it is now, because they were able to avoid addressing those root causes, the problem has grown year after year. And the root causes really are housing policies. Um, our cost of housing here in Los Angeles has skyrocketed. Rents have gone up by 65% in the last decade here, while average incomes have gone up by less than half that. That number, by the way, 65%, is way more than the average across the country. So it's a, it's, we're facing a situation here in Los Angeles which is uniquely difficult to get housing and to stay in housing. And so because of that, we've seen a massive rise in the number of people who are simply falling out of their housing. They're not able to stay housed anymore. Um, and the number of people who are experiencing homelessness is going up and up. I remember reading on, on your site just some of these staggering statistics. I mean, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, like 20% rise in the last couple of years of homelessness. I mean, it's just astounding to wrap your mind around how this is increasing so rapidly. But I guess when it's coupled with there's really no rent control, you know, I mean. Well, we do have a form of rent control yeah. here. We have um, something called rent stabilization, mm -hmm. which even rents in those units have risen at rates that are higher than inflation for something like nine out of the last 10 years. We know that the research has shown that every time rents increase by 5%, another 2,000 people become homeless in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Um, and we have a number of units that are under the control of the rent stabilization ordinance, which is a city-based ordinance. So we've had tools to actually stop the rise in rents. Uh, and despite the fact that there's been a growing and staggering housing and homelessness crisis that has unfolded in the city over the past few years, we have looked away from those powers, not used our ability and our control over those, um, uh, over those rents to actually say, let's stop this rise. Let's let tenants have a break. Um, let's make sure that people's wages can actually catch up with their rents. Um, we've just chosen not to do that. And as a result, Los Angeles is the third most rent-burdened city in the country. Um, you know, you're an expert on city planning. You have a lot of insight in this. Can you elaborate more on just the construction of housing units, how much are luxury versus affordable, and why this city has been built in terms of construction of housing to disadvantage poor and working class people to such an extent? So 
our land use is completely under the control of our city. Um, and our council members really have an incredible amount of influence over everything that's built in their own districts. But the bulk of that new construction has been luxury or market rate construction. Um, even though the bulk of what is needed in LA is exactly the opposite. So the numbers are actually staggering. Across the city, 87% of new units that have been permitted have been luxury units, while only 13% have been affordable. In the district where I'm running, District 4, 93% have been luxury units, while only 7% have been affordable. That is a choice made by our council members because they choose what to allow um, to give permits to, they choose um, which buildings are allowed to be built. I think that a smart person running this city would look at the extent of need and would look at all the tools available to the city to actually promote the construction of affordable and deeply affordable units. You've spoken about just kind of this black box that exists on the local level at City Council, how a lot of special interests and real estate developers drive housing policy. Yeah. Um, can you elaborate more on the systemic corruption and how it impedes the ability for grassroots change like this? Less than 20% of voters have generally participated in, in many of the municipal elections that have happened. Uh, and City Council campaigns, for the most part, have been funded by those who seek to profit from the city. Uh, primarily our real estate industry. And they do this because City Council controls access to permits uh, and to the kinds of things that they need in order to do their work in the city. And so we have a system in Los Angeles where uh, the kinds of buildings that get permitted, the kinds of developers that are able to operate are also the same kinds of developers that have deep enough pockets to be able to fund city council races and um, to be deeply embedded with city hall politics. We have, in essence, created the worst case system from our planning. We've created a system where deep-pocketed developers are able to game the system by paying for city council candidates to get elected. So on every front where we've set up a system that could be designed to actually benefit residents and to build the kind of housing that we need, we've actually done the exact opposite, um, which is incredibly frustrating to watch play out. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of the effects of this, uh, Angelino's fleeing, uh, the lack of diversity, um, more you know, gentrification leading to just more white uh, dominance in these areas. Can you give us some statistics on, on those impacts of yes. this housing emergency? Yeah, so last year, um, for the first time, uh, LA County actually lost population. And the data shows that for the most part, people who were leaving were people making less than $50,000 a year. Uh, we also have lost our black population in Los Angeles. Our black population has gone down by 20% over the last two decades. And despite the fact that black Angelinos make up just 9% of our city population, they make up almost 40% of our homeless population, showing that this housing crisis is actually playing out incredibly unequally across different sectors of the city. Uh, and I think this is something that we really need to be focused on as we're thinking through how to construct policy going forward. How are local governments criminalizing homelessness and poverty instead of helping to alleviate it? I worked at City Hall in 2014, and I wrote a report about how the city was responding to homelessness then. At that time, there were 23,000 people experiencing homelessness. And the city was actually spending already over $100 million responding to homelessness across various departments. 
Um, and my report actually found that almost 90% of that spending was going towards putting homeless individuals in jail, um, which is a, you wow. know, a staggering percentage. LAPD has historically been our first contact for people experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles and really continues to be to this day. They are the ones that people who are on the streets see. They are the people who actually know homeless individuals by name, unfortunately. In reality, we should be building a completely different kind of system, a system where the people who are interacting most regularly with people experiencing homelessness are outreach workers, mental health case workers, and people who are charged with actually getting them um, off of the streets, getting them the services that they need to actually take, make their journeys off of the streets. We are doing the opposite here in Los Angeles, and that is a deliberate choice. That's the way in which we've designed our system. But a lot of that has come from the political context in which our response to homelessness came. Over and over again, our elected representatives have shown that they want to be able to respond immediately to citizen complaints, to resident complaints. So somebody, a constituent calls them about a homeless encampment that's on their block, and a council member wants to be able to respond immediately. The, and the way they want to be able to respond is by calling LAPD. What we need to do is create a system through which we are effectively getting people out of homelessness. And that only way to do that, the only way, because putting someone in jail is not getting them out of homelessness. Um, the only way to do that is by providing services first. And that has to be the first line of response in the city. I can't even imagine how much worse the issue would be if charities weren't involved to yeah. help alleviate hunger. Um, the fact that police are the first point of contact, not social workers, not other people to initiate resolutions with, with the homeless community, and also just the criminalization of poverty in general. I mean, ticketing homeless people, um, putting them in jail, ticketing people for sleeping in their cars, making that illegal from Silicon Valley to here. People are not aware of, of the crackdown on poverty here and, and what effect that has on the community. Here in Los Angeles, new methods are being used kind of as a testing ground. I know that we were talking before about this alleged proposal from Donald Trump, Ben Carson, to essentially export the homeless community to camps, detention camps on the outskirts of town and raise Skid Row to the ground. Can you talk more about this and how devastating this would be? I also feel incredibly frustrated because the kinds of solutions that the Trump administration is proposing for homelessness, a crackdown, uh, forced detentions, these are things that we wouldn't need if our city would just do their job. In the absolute failure of our city to provide the kind of services that we have the resources to provide at this moment, to create systems which keep people housed, which help people who are falling into homelessness to quickly and effectively get off the streets quickly. We have all of the resources that we need through taxes, um, um, through, our, through our two measures that we passed recently. Um, we have all the resources that we need to be doing this. And in our failure to create the system, we have now allowed for a discussion where a much worse, a much more hostile intervention is being planned and considered seriously. And that to me is absolutely outrageous. 
And Nithi, you're running uh, for city council on this idea of, of drastic, immediate change, implementing some of these policies that can be taken at a local level to improve the situation. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on what those would be? So I think we can do a few things that can immediately address this issue. One is that we can deliver services effectively to people experiencing homelessness right now. I've proposed a series of community access centers in each neighborhood across the city. These are places where people who are experiencing homelessness can come in, have a cup of coffee, take a shower, feel welcomed, but also speak to a caseworker and start the process of getting their paperwork and moving off of the streets. I also think that these are also effective ways to help people who are experiencing mental illness or experiencing addiction to actually make sustainable steps towards moving off the streets. If you have mental health caseworkers who are housed at the neighborhood level, who get to know people who are experiencing homelessness in their neighborhood by name, that is the only way to build up a relationship of trust that will help someone along their journey back into housing, that will help someone along their journey back into mental health care. Right now, the system is designed not to do that. In fact, it's designed in many ways to terrorize people who are experiencing homelessness because the only time that you see the government or you see representatives from outreach um, organizations, from homeless service organizations, is when your stuff is being thrown away, is being through a very violent sweep. We also need to do a much better job of making sure people aren't falling into homelessness. We actually housed many more people last year than we ever have because we're spending a lot more on this issue. But because so many more people fell into homelessness, our numbers increased huge amounts across the city by 16% in one year, and in this district by 53% in one year. Huge, huge increases. Um, and I think what we need to be doing is to, make, is to make sure that across the city, when you're having tens of thousands of evictions, um, making sure that people have access to a lawyer. Because when you have access to a lawyer, you can stay in your home 84% of the time. This is something that New York has done, this is something that other cities have done, and has had important impacts on making sure that people who are at the most vulnerable end of, of housing, they're able to stay in their homes. We could also be using our control over the rent stabilization ordinance to make sure that rents are staying low. So during a housing and homelessness crisis, I'm proposing that we institute a temporary rent freeze until we get out of the crisis and allow people's wages to catch up to the cost of rent, which has been increasing incredibly. Um, the final thing that I talk about, which I think is incredibly important, is that we need to be building the kind of housing that people can really afford. We're just not doing that in Los Angeles. And that requires focus, that requires use of our powers over zoning, use of our powers over so many pieces of land across the city um, in order to push for exactly the kind of deeply, deeply affordable units that we desperately need, which we're just not getting right now. Seems like such obvious measures that our politicians should be taking, especially on a local level, because they see the emergency around them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable that they're not doing this. I think they just haven't felt the pressures. And I think a big part of the reason why they haven't been held accountable for this. In, in so many ways in Los Angeles, they have hidden their powers in order to be able to stay in a very well-paid position at City Hall through which they're able to access um, you know, uh, lucrative lobbying gigs afterwards or to continue in politics for decades. This cannot be the way anymore. We cannot allow our city politicians who have the level of power that they do and the level of control that they do over our housing and homelessness crisis to operate in obscurity anymore. Right, it seems like politicians 
do not want citizens to participate in local elections specifically, which is why people who could be the most politically engaged citizens on a national level have no idea, like you said, who their city council member is, when this is the most important thing yeah, to really affect change. Exactly, and particularly in Los Angeles because our city is a unique city. So we only have 15 council members for a city of 4 million. So that means each council member represents 250,000 residents, sometimes more. They have massive constituencies. They control a budget of $10 billion. They control the LAPD, they control LAX, they control the port, they control the Department of Water and Power, the largest publicly owned utility in America. They have so much power. They have a weak mayor, strong council system. So that means each council member individually is like a mini mayor themselves. And yet, across the board, when you look at what they're doing, they have looked away from their powers. And that has had deadly consequences for the residents of Los Angeles. There have been over a thousand people who died on the streets of Los Angeles last year, um, homeless individuals who died. That is more than died in the city of New York, despite the fact that it's way colder there, way more inhospitable. And that is because of the failure of our elected representatives to take action. It seems like homelessness has become a totally normalized reality when, you know, decades ago it wasn't really something that existed as a phenomenon across the, the country. With these policies, Nithya, do you feel like homelessness could be eradicated? Oh, absolutely. Private real estate has driven so much of policymaking and so much of what our city shape looks like. The reason why LA looks the way that it does is because real estate developers built it this way. We stopped building public housing here a long time ago. I think the last public housing units here were built in 1955. And we have way fewer units than, than, than New York. So here we have less than 10,000 units of public housing, while in New York there's something like 165,000. And so the thing I wanted to really draw attention to when you're talking about things like the eradication of homelessness is that here we have no cushion for people who are falling out of the housing market. And it is a brutal housing market. It is a market where 600,000 people across LA County are paying something like 90% of their income in rent. It is absolutely brutal. And we have created a situation where people have no options. We have no options. The waiting list for Section 8 vouchers is years long. I think the last time that housing voucher applications opened, they were absolutely inundated with people who needed assistance with housing. It is the most important and the most um, burdensome expenditure that people have. And we've actually designed a city and a county um, where we have left people who are facing those kinds of expenditures with absolutely no option and no means to address it, except for becoming homeless or leaving entirely. And I think that is criminal. <laughs> and it is easy to address. You know, we can build public housing again. We can invest in housing vouchers. We can invest in affordable housing again. Nithya, looking at the Democratic primary right now, is there one candidate who stands out in terms of really addressing this issue head on? Um, I have been really incredibly excited um, by Bernie Sanders' campaign, uh, which has really centered housing policy in a way. Uh, he signed on to the Homes Guarantee recently, and I was actually there when he signed on to it, which was incredibly exciting. Both uh, Bernie Sanders and Ilhan Omar are talking about public housing again, are talking about 
massive numbers of public housing units. I believe the Homes Guarantee is calling for 12 million units of public housing to be built across the country. The Sanders campaign is calling for 10 million. Either way, these are staggering numbers, so much more than what has been built in recent years. And the idea that we are not just thinking about public housing again, but demanding that it be built in cities across America is really, I think, going to have a transformative effect on how we think about housing and homelessness going forward. But even if Bernie won, we still need that local engagement and representation because there's only so much he can do at a mm -hmm. federal level. So just discuss those limitations and why it's so necessary to do what you're doing and be involved uh, in things like this. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Sanders campaign has been amazing in terms of just opening up the imagination of people. Uh, in terms of raising expectations for what your government should be doing for you. I think the idea, which should not be radical, that you deserve healthcare, <laughs> that everyone should have healthcare, that everyone should have a house, these are things that are now becoming part of what people, what people's hopes are, what people's expectations are for what their government should be doing. But whether or not Sanders get elected at the national level, I feel like we need to have people at the local level who can translate those rights into reality because if we have people at City Hall who are still beholden to the real estate in industry, who have a really narrow vision for what the city should be doing, for how we should be responding to residents and how we should be helping residents, then I think all those goals will go unrealized at the local level. Um, and that's why I think it's so important for people to do it all. I mean, it's hard because I know people have limited attention for political activity and, um, you know, I think they feel pulled in a lot of different directions because there's so much happening right now. But I really do think taking local action is incredibly important and can potentially have the most transformative impact. What you're doing at the local level can change the street you're walking on, can change the house you're living in, can change the city around you, can open up the possibilities for you on a very, very immediate level. And I think, I hope, at least, that idea is empowering for people and inspiring for people because that's the only way it's gonna happen. Thank you for listening to our Empire Files podcast. Help keep us independent and ad-free at patreon.com slash empirefiles. And be sure to catch our newest episodes by subscribing to our YouTube channel.